Welcome to Champagne Sunday. I'm Lauren. I'm Bonnie. I'm Beth. And we're going to talk about life after divorce. And living the best the life. The best life and the life you love. Yes, living the life you love on that other side. I had been working on things for a while after dealing with several instances that compromised my marriage and I was um, trying to decide what whether I wanted to work through it or not like I had been grappling with that for a while like w- working through it slash do I even want to be working through it and then what do you mean by a while like how long has three been? years since since the last time that I felt like it might be over and there was counseling involved. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we, I feel like I did like a, I bought a dog. <laughs> I feel like I bought a dog to save the marriage. I feel like, you know, in that time we renewed our vows. Like there were lots of, in retrospect, what I, what I feel like, and this, this may seem differently to other parties involved, but it felt like band-aids because I didn't know what else to do to make it better. It just wasn't better. And there were two very specific moments that stick out to me when I was, like, getting ready to, or when when I wasn't sure if it was going to work out. One is someone got, um, had to quarantine upstairs for a week, and it, I realized it was the most peaceful week I had had in, I couldn't tell you how long. And then after that realization... I wasn't sure I wanted to leave still, but I knew that maybe I needed to have a separation. And then as as the months progressed and I was dealing with that and I asked for I did ask for a separation that didn't manifest, that didn't happen. But um there was one morning that I was that someone clapped in my face to wake me up. And I that was that was it. That was, that was just the, the final straw. Like I, I'm. That was it, and that really has been it since that since that moment. So, yeah, I've always heard you just know. Yeah. Yeah. While you're going through it, people will say you just know. You just know. My dad. Oh, I would call my dad and just to. I had to have somebody to make me feel like I wasn't going crazy. Like I had to check out things to make sure. Did I hear that right? Was that really said to me? That's kind of thing. Well, and I would call my dad and he would say, Beth, when you've had enough, you will have had enough. I cannot tell you when it's going to be. You will just know it's enough. And I will say, sometimes you think it's not that bad. You think, oh, this could be so much worse. And then you articulate it to a friend or... And you see or, their reaction. Or your parent and they're like, mm. what? Yeah. Right. It becomes so, because you become so used to yeah. it. And mm-hmm. you talk yourself into everything is okay. I'm gonna make everything okay. It's gonna be right because this is the person I chose. Yeah. Yes. But you just know when you know. Yeah. That's I remember being I remember having that sort of surreal out of body experience when that moment happened yeah. to me. It and, is and that mine's different in that he was an alcoholic. And it was buying alcohol. It was a date on a purchase of alcohol that I just found stashed in the garage. And I truly was like, oh, there it is. There's the straw. 
there here this is what has going to put me over the edge i've been wondering all this time what it was going to be and this is it it truly was just sort of a oh they're right you just know Mm -hmm. i know in this moment so was it a a moment then for each of us like an identifying moment that that was it mine was actually in therapy i think it was the fifth or sixth therapist that we were seeing um and we had driven separate cars, and we were sitting in these chairs, these wingback chairs, side by side, but you couldn't see the person. And then the therapist was sitting in front of us. And we had gone in. This was about two months in. And at the first meeting, we sat, and he said, this is how it's going to go. You're going to take turns. And you let the person speak the whole time, and then the next person will respond. So we had been doing that for a month, maybe two months. And at the very beginning, he had said, you're going to give this three months. Nobody's going to do anything rash. We're just going to see how three months. At the end of three months, then we'll weigh and see where we are. And I had sat down. It was my turn to go first. I was a little nervous. I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to say something. And my ex jumped up out of his chair and said, I spent $7,000. And was like, what we had had an agreement if we spent a certain amount of money we told each other before so you know <laughs> it kept the bank balanced anyway when he jumped up and did that i didn't know how to react and i thought and the therapist said what the <laughs> we had an agreement i thought it was like a lightning bolt came down and i was thinking what the we had an agreement. Why am I doing this? Why am I on the fifth it's or like sixth a therapist? Lifts. It is. It's like it's like a really bad movie where the shaft of light comes down <laughs> the heavens part, and you just think, ta da! You know, I see like, it. I see it. And I thought it that's exactly how I felt for well. By that time, uh, I guess that had been going on almost ten years, mm. and I thought ten. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 10 years and I just and you know I kept trying to work on it I kept trying to keep it together but it's like in that moment when he said that and when the therapist they don't usually say anything and when he validated exactly how I felt and then I I just had this moment and I re- it was like time slowed down and I was thinking what the <laughs> we had an agreement and then I was thinking and I'm the only one that kept it why am I doing this it's just like hit me Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, that's it. That's yeah, it. Mine was about 10 years. I, I, yeah. I, I worked on trying to make it well, work for about 10 now, years. In retrospect, my making it work started in 2015. So that would have been like seven years. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there was no going back. There was no, I didn't even want to pay for that therapy session. I was like, this is it. I'm done. You know, and it's like at that point, all of the fear that I had, of the fear of being alone, the, the, the fear of having to budget, having to make all of this money on my own because, you know, it, you know I worked, but I, I'm an educator, you know, so it's not like I have a ton of money. All of those fears that I had in that moment didn't matter. It was yeah. like, I'll face whatever it is I need to face mm-hmm. because the peace it's gotta be it's gotta be better than this mm-hmm. I have felt so betrayed well by that by that time it was very chaotic in my house mm-hmm. 
um, because it was the thing we didn't really want to talk about and I never tried to have a fight in front of my kids or have angry words or so there was a thread of tension in my house Mm -hmm. all the time and like people picked it up on me that I didn't realize I I used to go to a massage therapist and she was really my therapist too and she (laughs) looked at me one day I can remember she was kneading my shoulders and she said you never even relax enough to get a massage I'm going to hand you this book and I'm not judging anything but I think you have a lot of tension at home and it was the name of the book was Walking on Eggshells. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. there were eggshells in thought, my house. Oh my word! Everybody knows this about me, and I thought I was, you know, yeah, when you I thought I was getting an Emmy for everybody's my retreating. <laughs> everybody's retreating to corners. Yeah, and you don't even realize you don't even have a family that's together because no one wants to be in this oh. to be in the eggshell room. I yeah. I recognize in retrospect that I created. And not, I'm an artist and, a, you know, a, a theater person. And that involves me being at rehearsal a lot. But I recognize that I did as much theater as I could to not be at home because it was making me miserable. Oh, I got a whole degree. And, I and then another know. one. I didn't know. <laughs> I opened a needlepoint shop and it was my happy place. I literally would open the door, exhale. Everything was yeah. right with the world. It was beautiful. I had friends that just wanted to come and create, and uh-huh. it was. Warm I started writing and two novels. Yeah. I mean, I just whatever it was I could do to keep myself from having to engage in the eggshell environment that had been created. Mm-hmm. I mean, still protect my kids as much as right. I could, but I just I didn't want to have to to face that emotional chaos that was just sort of like a like hanging in the middle of the eye of the storm, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretending like it's not there. I think it just got to a point for me that I didn't want to have to engage because it was either going to be not what I wanted, like not uh, fulfilling, mm-hmm. or very bad. So yeah. Not productive. Yeah. Not productive at all. I think you get to a point that you know no matter what you say, it's falling on deaf ears. They've, well, at least in my experience, he completely disconnected from having a family and having a wife. And so I basically was the maid and I cooked and did his laundry and was the place where he came to sleep. Not, there was no other engagement. Well, I, I feel like I was just roommates for a very long time um, that I, that's that's what the situation was. And it got to a point that it was roommates and not even friends, you know. I feel like I was watching someone kill himself. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, that was what I basically said to him on that day was, I really don't want to watch you live out leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. going to watch you kill yourself. You're not going to do this. Not in front of the kids. Not in front either. of me and not in front of the kids. Yeah. I have fought to keep you alive. I have fought... To get you to stop drinking, I have tried to make this protect home pleasant. Yeah, protect your mm-hmm. reputation. I, I have. That. I have protected the kids from knowing how bad this alcoholism is with you. I have done all of these things to try and make. I mean, I I was a good wife. I was. A good I did. Wife. I was a good wife. I did. I did everything I could to anticipate his needs to keep the stress out of the house, so he didn't feel like he had to drink. All of these things to just. I mean, I lost my complete identity trying to get him to be well. 
And he didn't even recognize that he had a problem. Yeah. And it just, so for me, it was just, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, it was just truly, it was watching someone I cared about just, he turned into someone I didn't know. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about mine. Mine also had some, he had addictive personality disorder. So most men just have an affair or drink or do other things and mine did everything. So, it, <laughs> so I do share in that. I think I spent so many years, like my kids had quiet time at night because of his work. He was up early in the morning, so he went to bed by 8. So at 8 o'clock, my house shut down. Nobody made a noise. Everybody was quiet. We I tailored our whole existence around being nurturing and supportive so that he could advance his career. And, you know, people did not know how bad it was at my house. People did not, and that was by design. I put on a happy face and, you know, tried to make things look great for my children. And Okay, well, let's talk about something on the other side of that. How did it feel? And, Lauren, you are just now experiencing this. (laughs) How did it feel to finally have no eggshells in your home? I mean, what was the, you know, because my fear, my fear was big. It was being alone. I really feared having to live on my own. And that, that first bit of just me and the kids, it was like, it was it was like you know that was it in Roger Rabbit where the sun comes out and the rainbow <laughs> happy when he goes to Toonland yeah, or yeah, goes what's to it Toon- yeah, engaged, everybody's engaged and back in singing you know the kids yeah. came out of their yeah. rooms we all spent time we had dinner together we spent time upstairs in the same room nobody retreated back to their corners anymore it was a peace I had not felt. Since we were probably early married, since I had little bitty kids, I had not felt peace that way. Um, So I have two more weeks before I'm eggshell free at this point, completely eggshell free. But um, the moments that I get to be with just me or with just my child are incredible. Like, I, I I don't think I realize the amount of anxiety that I was experiencing as a result of those negative interactions or the non-interactions. Right, just, you know? yeah. yeah well, it takes just a lot toxic. of energy to have a non-interaction. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like... It's living on the defensive. Living yes. on the defensive takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm an incredibly... I'm a very social person, and I, I need very little alone time to recoup. And that that was my biggest fear about all of this like making this decision is there will be moments when I'm and I have a lot of friends it's not it's not like I it's not like I don't have something to do every day I have something to do every day but I was really nervous about what it was going to feel like to just be by myself in my house and it has been very therapeutic so far now I know that I'm not on the very beginning of this but um I I I just I guess I didn't know like maybe I need a little bit more me time than I thought I did you know well, you've been running away from me time because yeah. it, because the only me time you could get was well, in a house with eggshells. And my home has not been a peace place. I have found happiness and peace in other spaces for the last. In other spaces with people in those. Yeah, other spaces with people because I'm an extrovert. 
Well, so, you're in the theater. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the theater. <laughs> but, um, I, you know. I'll be interested to see how your child feels when he comes back into the space because you realize how you feel, but sometimes you don't know. I had one at college and I had one at home with me. And I made a conscious effort to actually change my surroundings in the same house. Mm -hmm. I painted everything. I rearranged furniture. I took all the pictures off the wall and everything and redid my house. And um, it's kind of funny because a couple months in, not very far, maybe two months in, um, my younger child came to me and said, Mom? Our house feels different. Like the air in our house is different. <laughs> yeah, it is, baby girl. It's a lot different. I mean, she actually felt it, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. made me feel like, okay, that was that was the moment that I knew that this was the right decision. Yeah. Like in concrete, this was the right decision. I had waited 10 years. Um, my fear was not so much being alone. My fear was more that I didn't want my children to come from a quote-unquote broken home. But then, you know, as I sort of leaned into it, I realized living with all that palpable Mm -hmm. negative energy in a house is a lot more destructive to a child than just being from a divorced situation. So, But when we got divorced, my youngest was in a um, very small Christian school, and there was only one other child from a divorced family, and I did not realize it then, but she was acutely aware of it, and um, it, it caused some anxiety on her part, but um, I think she's worked through that now, but I, I just, because we're in a different place, and but even now, moving and having my own home this house has a different energy to it, too. That's happy. And mm-hmm. It's well, very I've, peaceful. I mean, just in the last week, I've rearranged furniture and, like, put things where they go. Today, I bought new trash cans because I knew I needed them. And I knew that I needed to do it and that I could. And so yeah. I did. And you got to pick and nobody's going to judge pick. your And, like, and nobody's going nobody's gonna to just, like, let it be like that. Like, let it go unattended. Or... um like that that's huge i like i had a party the other night because again i'm very social and i like doing that <laughs> but i had a party and i live in a house that was built in 1907 we all live in very old houses but um the porch broke <laughs> one oh, of the, the railing railing porch one yeah. of the railings yeah. broke I and i was out there today and i was like yeah it broke and then i thought oh, the only person i have to rely on to fix that's me I get to call, or and I get to decide when we fix that. Like, I don't have to wait on anyone else's decision or anyone else's finances. Like, and I know what my budget is and the exact expenses I have. And that's so, I, I just, I don't know. I haven't known that in 10 years, 11 and years. And as scary and terrifying as it can be to in char- be in charge of my own budget, it is also one of the most freeing things. Yeah, it is. It you know? really is. I don't have any guilt over getting my hair colored no, or my fingernails no, done no. or and any of that that I used to feel all this no, terrible guilt over. But also no one can hide anything from you in that yes, regard. Like that it's is true. your budget. Like 
and you like I I was at my friend's porch last night and I was looking across the street and I was like I own that house that's my house <laughs> it's, a, it's a great feeling it is it is you you bought your house too I did and well, I bought my, mine well and my, was... my biggest dream growing up is I wanted an old house I've mm-hmm. always wanted an old house and my ex would never have an old house he was in the lumber business and said I will never ever live in an old house because I just, nothing is ever square etc cetera, etc cetera. and so when we divorced I was like oh, I can get an old house Oh my gosh, you I can, can actually do decision. it. And yeah. so I found this house and it is, and I actually live next door to Lauren, my 1909 house next to your 1907. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it just, it, it is, it is my house. I feel like it was built in 1909 for me. It is, it is just perfect for mm-hmm. every kid has a room. I yes. had this huge need because I knew their dad was not necessarily going to be stable because of his addiction to have every kid have a space so they felt they had a home to come home to, even though two of them were grown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In college age, I, have I that felt too. like I had felt like I needed to have a home base for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if even if I don't stay here, I'll keep the house. I want them to have a place that they know is home and come back to. So I think that's important too that they have that they know that they're always welcome and it's a safe home to come to and I hope that mine will always be peaceful and you know that they feel like they can right. come and this will and always be your be room and yes. this will always be your space to keep some of your things and oh I have a very significant home base feeling too yeah. like when I made the decision to buy my house I was very cognizant of the fact that like I was not just buying my house I was buying the neighborhood mm-hmm. oh and I was buying my neighbors <laughs> <laughs> And, thank you. But that this was is a good neighborhood. But that was, was a really good deal. And I, you know, my mom, Bonnie lives on one side of my my friend. Is on one side of names. And my mom was on the other side. And the fact that, like, my kid one day got he he took a walk in the neighborhood on his own, and I didn't know what was happening, and neither did his father. And our neighbors found him. <laughs> and they knew who he was because he was instantly identifiable uh, uh, by his everybody just knows him. So the fact that like that's the neighborhood, it meant everything to me. So it was worth it to do that. But I think like that home base mentality, it is something that I didn't start to think really think about until I was going to be single. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, did you? When you were married, think about home base mentality. Like this no, is- because I thought that wherever we, that, yeah. Okay, well, but that's we we moved into a home that was a house that his parents had built, and they had passed away. But we completely gutted it. We did it for our home, and it was going to be the legacy for the kids. It was going to be the home base that had been my ex husband's home base. Really, it was going. So it was going to be our home base, and so it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like we felt like. We didn't set out to have this place where the kids would come back and all that. It just kind of like just was known that we'd do it. It just sort of, he was from Decatur, from this town. Um, he grew up here. His um, brother was here. You know, it was just, we would just live here and that was a part of it. So for me to decide that I wanted a home base, but I knew I wanted to stay here because my daughter was still in high school. I knew I wanted to be here. So I knew I had to have a home base in the city where my kids had grown up. Because I wanted, because that was important too. I couldn't just move several cities away and create a home base. Because right. Because they, 
their people in the places they'd already known. I was already moving them out of, we'd moved out of one, this would be a second house moving my daughter out of. You know, it just, you know, I didn't necessarily want to have that much rock and change their world. Everything was already changing. And I know that they were older. Um, my, My middle was his senior year in high school was when we divorced or we moved and all. So, I mean, I didn't, I just didn't want that much change. So I didn't really have a home base mentality or I guess I always, I did, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't feel it was my responsibility. I did. How about that? Until we, we divorced and then I really did. I did. We built the house, um, in Columbia when my son was two. So, basically, that's what all he remembered. And then my daughter was born in that house. And so, after the divorce, I was cognizant that that is the only house that they had really remembered. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there until my youngest was in sixth grade. In fifth grade, I knew I wanted to move. I just, the divorce wasn't final, The you know... I didn't have permission to move her across state lines. It was just a big, it would have been a lot more hoops to jump through. So um, I wanted to move before she was in high school. So we moved when she was in middle school. And the reason I came back is this is my hometown. My house is a mile from my dad, a mile from my brother and his wife and family. And I had a support system and I thought it was important for really both my children, but especially my youngest, to have um, a male and two male, two strong male um, examples, mentors mm-hmm. that she knew and loved and that, that loved her. So, I, you know, I did the cliche thing and moved back home. <laughs> well, and that's, but it has been a great decision. To well, and a podcast home. for another day is yeah. that I am now about to be empty nest and I don't have to stay here anymore. And that's mm-hmm. a whole different sort yeah, of weird different. freedom. Mm-hmm. That gives me a lot of anxiety I didn't necessarily expect. But that's a, that's a talk. <laughs> Thank y'all for joining us for Champagne Sunday. See you next week, See girl. You next week. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Have a good week. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers.